but let me hear from you. Do you doubt that? For Hamlet and the trifling of his favor, hold it a fashion and a toy in blood, a violet in the youth of primy nature. Forward, not permanent, sweet, not lasting. The perfume and suppliance of a minute. No more. No more, but so. Think it no more. And I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 4, Sweet, Not Lasting. With the rest of the family away on tour, Eleanor is left to tour various charities and hospitals, which she does with the help of Jasper and copious amounts of club drugs. Helena invites Gemma to accompany herself, Liam, and Cyrus on tour, much to Liam's dismay. Ophelia flirts with Nick in order to make Liam jealous. Helena has a whiskey distillery burned down in order to help a family she meets in the countryside. Eleanor visits a rehab facility funded by her late brother, Prince Robert. Hi, welcome back to Stage of Fools. I hope all our American listeners had a good Thanksgiving and all our British listeners are busy being distracted by all the details of this show that don't totally make sense. <laughs> so business as usual. This, like the last episode, to start off with, is another fairly fluffy entry in the series. Not too heavy on the plot, really. Maybe even less so than the last episode, surprisingly. Yeah, this is another episode where we're left to kind of spend time with the characters. And yeah. even though a lot of what's going on is pretty superficial, I actually found this episode to be probably the darkest one since... Um, the season premiere in which Robert was killed because uh, to me this episode feels like us taking a really unpleasant close-up look at Eleanor's growing depression. That makes sense, yeah. There are certainly mm, two varying degrees on-the-nose moments about the issues she is facing in life at this particular time. Some scenes you might argue are slightly overwrought, but... Uh... I mean, we'll go through them as they appear in the episode, but um, yeah, to me, I actually found this episode to be, yeah, pretty pretty grim. Um, so it starts with Eleanor getting a treatment from some sort of physician that I'm assuming that they keep either on retainer at the palace. And mm -hmm. he gives her something that I wish I could have, which is a hangover cure IV that will take away her hangover so, in like 15 minutes. This guy does come back later, this local house palace physician, um, near the end of this season to do... I mean, I think he tends to a certain character who is injured and also performs a test. But oh, that's the same guy. I didn't notice. All white men look the same to me, so I didn't know. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> they're very similar. Um but this 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 thing where you get an IV and it cures your hangover by like putting you know fluids directly into your bloodstream. My friend did this on his twenty first birthday, and apparently it works really well. It is one hundred percent like crazy, crazy effective. That doesn't surprise me at all. But I'm super jealous because it's not something I have access to in my own everyday life. Oh, no, neither do I. <laughs> so the reason that 
Eleanor is going as ham as she is, according to her. Um, although I don't really see how this is different from the way that she acts at any time, is that no. the rest of the family is away on tour and on various diplomatic um, missions. So she's right. in charge of diplomacy, a.k.a. partying with people who come to visit at the right. palace. And she's been going really hard. Uh, the doctor, like all the men in Eleanor's life, is incredibly judgmental of her. Mm -hmm. And I actually liked a touch in this episode. As the Royals logo comes up, we still hear the sound of like a bong the, bubbling I, yeah. in the background mm -hmm. and Eleanor like deeply inhaling and exhaling. <laughs> and I thought it was pretty funny. That is a nice touch. Usually it's uh, quite quiet when the logo comes on, but... Um... You know, got to show Eleanor going full bore on on that bong. That's a good representation of what the show is about, too. I think so, too. Yeah, it makes more. I kind of wish there was like a weird uh, background noise in every episode that was indicative of perhaps, if not the episode itself, the show. I'm sure you could have some kind of, I don't know, something Cyrus snorting coke. Or, <laughs> I would like it if they did like what Mr. Robot does, where every episode the titles come up over whatever is happening in a very dramatic sure. way. I feel like the Royals could pull that off really effectively, perhaps not as beautifully as Mr. Robot, because right. that's where my comparisons between the two shows stops. <laughs> um, yeah. And speaking of technology, have you noticed that everyone FaceTimes? on this show they never just like call each other on the phone i guess yeah, because i mean it's more visually effective translates better to i suppose uh a visual medium i guess i mean it's not too hard to film a two-way conversation no. but i mean there's a lot of texting too to be fair that's true i just thought it was funny eleanor um gets facetimed by her mother's assistant rachel mm -hmm. it's just like it's so rare that you do a business call over facetime at least in my world oh yeah so they have this uh tour of various charities and hospitals set up for Eleanor to capitalize on the good press she got from the fashion show episode last week. Yeah. And Eleanor is extremely petulant and sulky about having to do it to the point where it's like, you're a big girl, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> um, and she eventually says she'll do it if she can go to at least one of her brother Robert's charities on her tour. And they grudgingly agree to it. I don't know why grudgingly. Yeah, it seems I mean, like it's a, still a charity. When they reveal what it is later, too, it seems like a perfectly reasonable, nice place for the princess to go. Like, I don't know how the news would spin that as, like, horrific or bad, I guess. It seems like a place Eleanor should be staying at. Well, that's true, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to that, but uh, it seems appropriate. Entirely appropriate. So, while Eleanor is left at home to party at the palace, we... Join uh, Helena, Liam, and Cyrus on the private plane. And who else should be there as well? But Gemma, who has been invited as Helena's lady-in-waiting. And they say the term lady-in-waiting like Four 500 million times, times yeah. in this episode. So many. It's like kind of a runner. Um, yeah, I feel like... So at this point, when they first get on the plane, I thought the plane was already in flight. <laughs> Gemma, Gemma just appears. And Gemma just shows up and they're like, oh, how'd you get on this small plane without me being aware of it? I thought that was a very strange touch because it seemed like it was already in the air, but I could be wrong about that. She was hiding in the bathroom just waiting, waiting for, the, for right the right moment time. to... Helena, out, Helena uh, and Gemma had planned it out beforehand. I actually wrote out her line. So this whole episode, like, this isn't the 
pithy Gemma that I was enjoying so much in episode two. This is a different Gemma, the Gemma from episode three, who's really, really desperate and really, really obvious the whole time. Normally, desperate isn't a word I like to, like, apply to women because I think that it's something that gets thrown around a lot. But here's her one of her first lines to Liam. Sex on a plane. Gotta say, at least I don't have to drive. And yeah. I'm like, you didn't have to drive last week either. <laughs> she she did. didn't just elect to drive the previous week. Um, she got over that pretty well, though. I don't know what repercussions she faced for that because theoretically she was caught by the police at a None. like drunk having crashed through this call box but i think we're meant to think she's too rich to really yeah. have any consequences stick to her i just thought it was so funny she was acting like the roadhead thing that happened was some sort of like oops sexy accident i'm like you embarrassed yourself <laughs> and no one was turned on but to be fair i think the show's attitude is that it is a funny sexy accident for the most part <laughs> So I she's just reflecting the reality in which she exists. I mean, I guess on the one hand, I'm sort of proud of Gemma for, like, owning it. But on the other hand, oh, my God, that line was like, remember last week, folks, that I was like, I hear you loud and clear and I will never forget. To your point that she is not the pithy Gemma is like, that's her relationship with a lot of people, including Ophelia. But I don't feel like that was ever her relationship with Liam, which is a lot more straightforward. I think both of them know what they're there for in terms of that relationship. I think that what we're supposed to feel about Gemma is that she's really good at reading social situations and that's how she's able to become so beloved by all these high up people. So it's a little weird to me that she seems to have no read on the situation with Liam. Like he is not into it at all and her like throwing herself at him super aggressively only seems to be pushing him further away. I mean I guess people do like crazy things when they're in love and they're desperate to be with someone but it was just it feels a little bit weird that she's supposed to be like so good at charming people and she seems to just be getting like worse and worse at getting back in his good graces in a way that has not even always to do with Ophelia. She clearly still considers Ophelia a trifling affair. And the, and the implication is this is not the first time he's fallen head over heels for a, heels for a girl and then just kind of pushed her to the side. Like, they clearly out, imply that this has happened numerous times. Uh, I'm not surprised. We'll get to uh, later in the episode some of the characters he meets in the village and what they say about Liam's personality and why he's not my favorite character. Uh, speaking of bad ideas, ideas Eleanor does ecstasy in the limo on the way to their first stop on the charity tour right. um, which is an old folks home at first like the first time I watched it I was really put out because that seems like a super shitty thing to do but according to the show it's actually not so bad because she was super nice and cuddly with yeah. the old people I feel and like they, they seem to her love more. it yeah I feel like they liked her more than if she would have been sober and she went in there in fact yeah i think absolutely she finally stopped sulking for once in her life so at first i was like hey that's not cool to do to the old people but then i really came around to it and the show was doing that thing too where like as pictures were snapped of her like newspaper headlines would pop up on the screen too like a fairy tale princess so it's more good press for eleanor yeah which seems to be well, not seems to be, will be an increasingly important thing for Eleanor and Liam is the public's opinion of them, perhaps more so than any other characters on the show. And there's two things to note. One, I think this whole episode more or less 
is just about PR because like it's it's just Eleanor and Liam's respective PR campaigns through Liam's case. He's taken over Cyrus's annual. I don't know what he called it, but airplane tour across all tour, of England. The plane tour. And obviously Eleanor has to do all these charity stops. So the theme of the episode is essentially PR tour. Yeah. But secondarily, um, anybody who is even mildly aware of the world would realize that Eleanor was really high at that old folks home. She was not I hiding it at all. <laughs> she was talking... She, she I was touching an old woman's like, hair and saying it felt like yeah. cotton candy. I think the closest you could come... I mean, I think it's just the show being silly, but I think if you really want to reach for a logical explanation, you could say, like, they're old. They're they old and they better. don't know. Yeah. But I want to get to her other stops because they had two of my favorite jokes in this episode. Uh, one of them being she's cutting the ribbon at the opening of some new place and she turns to Jasper. She's holding giant scissors to cut the ribbon and she says completely seriously, you seriously wouldn't believe how big these little scissors feel to me right now. <laughs> Which... May have been a stupid joke, but I really enjoyed it. The main reason the joke doesn't work is because ecstasy does not make you hallucinate. You still see things, like, as they are. I thought that that was cute, but even cuter, they went to some sort of animal shelter, and as they pull away, you see the limo pulling away, and the window opens, and Jasper's hand holding a puppy appears right. from it, and Eleanor's like, no, Prince Rufus, and... He yeah. gives the puppy back. So, I I mean, anytime a puppy is on screen, I'm pretty much sold. But I thought that that was another cute little, cute little one-liner in that montage of places that she had to go. How upset can you be about a PR tour where you have to go to a place full of puppies, just like a puppy rescue center, and get to play with a billion puppies? That sounds amazing. I know. That's basically my dream. Okay, well, uh, going through the plot chronologically... It's our favorite person in the whole world. Do you detect any sarcasm in my tone? I hope so, because it's Nick the Nothing. Oh, yeah, right. The Nothing yeah. Human, who is a cardboard cutout that came to life. A mannequin that was made slightly more attractive by makeup and given the ability to walk, I guess. He calls Ophelia and wants to hang out, even though, whatever, I thought he was against hanging out, but, um... She's like, I'm gonna wash my hair. And he's like, I get it. You're not interested. That's where Ophelia should have ended the conversation slash never seen him again because she knows that she doesn't want to be with him. Right. This episode is probably the, you know, the least moral we see that Ophelia being because she knowingly leads this guy on, in my opinion. So he gives her an out which was perfect, and she invites him over to the palace instead. Nobody actually says, I have to wash my hair, unless they are plainly, deeply uninterested. It's like writing See You Next Summer in the yearbook. It's just like the generic thing you say to get this interaction over with as quickly as possible. Yeah, oh, we should get lunch sometime. Sometime. Vaguely sometime. Um. So he comes over and gets lost on his way trying to find her, and there's a little bit where a tour group group comes through and he playfully asks the tour guide uh, what's been going on with Coffee Girl, which is, of course, what they were 
calling Ophelia. It's it's a it's a Nick joke. Ophelia takes him down into these tunnels underneath the palace, which sure. was pretty cool because they look really cool, and I'm sure stuff like this actually exists, even if not on the actual set where they shot most of the royals' exteriors. So they're down in the tunnel, and Ophelia says, there's this one place down here where you can get cell service. And I was nice. like, I don't believe that's convenient for the plot. Super nice. Because she goes to that one spot, and she checks her cell phone. Uh-huh. Helena has Rachel take a picture of um, Liam and Gemma like talking to each other on the private plane and then put it on Instagram. So it's leaked. So the press is like, oh, put a gem on it. It looks like they're going to get married. And Ophelia's really upset. And right at that same moment, Nick makes the most awkwardly worded joke of all time. Uh, something along the lines of, um, where do these tunnels go? They go all the way to Hyde Park. Um, <laughs> then I have some place to run to when your father comes home and finds us making out, I think is what he says. It's very bizarre. That's awkwardly worded, but that's, basically exactly what he said it's weird because it's a little bit presumptuous even though i guess they are like hanging out in a dark tunnel together so not totally it's awkwardly worded and um i feel like i've been dishing out a lot of romance advice on this show so i'm just gonna keep going with that no girl wants to think about or talk about her dad in a romantic situation (laughs) and if she does you've got a bumpy road ahead of you buddy so this joke was a loser on every level. Four but thumbs down. Something does, I guess, come out of it? Because there's a lot of going back and forth, trying to instill jealousy between Liam and Ophelia. Mainly Ophelia. Liam gets set up with Gemma, but Ophelia keeps on, in response, sending out these pictures and videos of her with with Nick. She she done goofed in this episode. She took it way too far. So right from that spot, after he makes that terrible joke, she takes this selfie of herself kissing him on the cheek, which just looks so awkward and posed, and posts it. Um, Because Yeah, yeah, you're right. This whole episode, she's trying to make Liam jealous, but she fucks it up. And honestly, folks, again, more love advice from me. That's never a good technique because it's always going to blow up in your face and it absolutely blows up in her face. That pick posts super. Not only do they have Wi-Fi down here, it's really good (laughs) Wi-Fi. Whoever made these tunnels in probably the 1500s really was thinking about the future when they carved this particular area. Uh, So everyone's on the plane getting dressed up for the events. Helena reminds us, as she does in every scene, that she's the queen. Her line is, I'm the queen. People expect me to look like the queen. Right. It's like, okay. Uh, Cyrus is super bitter and sulky because he got kind of the starring or the top billing and the two are taken away from him. And they're all super elitist and gross because they're all terrified of poor people. One, I'm upset. This is the second episode in in a row that really, really, really sidelined Cyrus, which I'm not happy about ever. It's a huge problem. Yeah, they really need to get, get him going again. I honestly can't remember if he's a big factor in the next episode or not. He is, I think. Okay, that's good. And also, there's a recurring joke with some gloves that Gemma brings because she doesn't want to touch the poor people. And when they get off the plane, (laughs) Helena immediately makes her give her the gloves because she sees a man who is missing some of his teeth, I think. He is old and missing some of his teeth. There's an undercurrent not just among Helena and Gemma, but also among Eleanor of really not being very kind to people in this episode. That's what I was saying. This episode, you know, I'm 
almost always team Eleanor, but this episode, like, it almost felt like they were trying to make her unlikable because, like, her sulking over having to go do these very minor charity events was, like, I'm not saying it wasn't realistic in a way because I'm certain there are way when public figure there are times when public figures do feel that way, but it's not sympathetic for us as non-royalty to watch, especially when you have it coupled with all this elitist talk between Gemma, Helena, and Cyrus, um, and let you pointed this out last episode that the show is sketchy about old people and it's yeah. ageist. And then the thing I talked about last week, how the show hates fat, fat people, people yeah. totally comes up again because Liam is doing a bad job trying to talk to people because he's been told that he's not supposed to say anything of substance. Right. So he sees this woman trying to get through the crowd and he's like, let her through, let her through. And she's like, oh, thank you. And he makes that classic sitcom mistake of being like, have you picked out a name yet? Because she's fat. Right. Yes. I so... But that's not even the thing that I want to say. Wait, uh-huh. you got to wait for the punchline. Okay. So she's a uh, she's a subhuman fatty, mm-hmm. according to the show. Just kidding. Um, they get him back on the plane, and Helena is bawling him out about how he's has to stay on script, and she tells him, "quote No more talking to any fat people." There is a ton of talk about how fat people are disgusting. Poor people are inherently disease ridden I guess is the fear (laughs) there's one we skipped over earlier which I think is actually the worst moment for Eleanor in the episode she ends up being pretty good getting off pretty well with the old folks but when she first pulls up she sees an old man and her immediate response is like no I cannot do this like just has a balloon for her it's the saddest thing in the world yeah my dream job would be just to go to a bunch of different charities and like hug people that sounds like the funnest thing in the world yeah i mean helena and liam talk about seeming interested versus being interested helena wants liam to seem interested and liam says you know why not genuinely be interested and helena says don't be ridiculous like she asked that's impossible and that's pretty much what the whole episode comes down to seeming interested and being interested in the plight of the common people and who only seems interested and who actually is interested. I will hand, I will give it to Liam uh, in this episode in that he has that faux pas. I don't... Th- it's a very stupid... It's a thing that no one really does, I think, in real life because people are just smarter than that in general. But I don't think he means anything cruel by it. And no. he never says anything cruel about poor people or overweight people or old people at any point unlike every other character i think eleanor would be furious with us for saying this but it's really true that between the twins eleanor takes after her mother and liam is his father's son through and through like he is a playboy but it's kind of in the same way that his father craves human connections just that his dad isn't so overtly sexual or maybe not sexual anymore yeah i think a lot of the reason liam has these like wild flirtatious mini affairs and is trying for all these relationships is because like his dad he just he does want people in his life who like him for him there's a scene shortly after he messes up at the first meeting with the small village where 
talking about what you said earlier, which is that Gemma gets by on knowing all these social customs. She gives him the speech that that's her tactic for getting by because she doesn't have what he has, which is natural charisma. I find that concept slightly debatable. I, yeah, that happens quite a bit later in the episode, but I, I it felt weird to me too, because in episode two, it, she just seemed like such a social butterfly with so much natural charm and charisma. Whereas Liam seems like the one who can be a little bit stiff Leaden, sometimes. Yeah. But maybe it's supposed to be he's just like the perfect everyman and that has a charm of its own. Yeah. Helena and Cyrus start having another one of these conversations about how Robert was so perfect. Robert would go on these plane tours and he would just know what to say. He was easy to control and everyone fell in love with him. And I'm like, I wish we knew one thing about Robert that wasn't positive one thing like he was a picky eater we talked about this in the first episode but he is literally a jesus christ come again level godsend for this entire nation i'm surprised and they got over his death surprisingly fast considering he was apparently the perfect human being i can't believe he's so good that Cyrus apparently didn't mind having him on his plane tours. Well, I was thinking about that too because Cyrus seems to have so much less resentment towards Robert. And then I remember that Robert is dead and we don't really know how he died. And I'm like, oh, no wonder he's worked those issues out. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, But the really messed up thing, Helena invokes Robert's memory solely to manipulate her children and her husband, but especially Liam by comparing the two boys and she uses it to get Simon to back down from criticizing her and she uses it to guilt Eleanor about her life choices. It is extremely messed up. It's the sort of thing where if it was in real life, like you would be in therapy exclusively talking about that, about how your mother only talked about your dead brother when she was trying to make you feel like shit. Marcus and Gemma have a conversation. Again, my estimation of her went down somewhat because she's being very mean to him. And she's throwing some barbs that are classist, but also have some weirdly racial undertones. Was it just me picking up on this? She's like, oh, you can talk and in complete sentences. Wow. I don't know. Maybe it was just a classism thing, but it's just like it was it was a clause out scene. They were being probably more than Helena and Eleanor. uh, I mean, anyone besides Helena and Eleanor, they were really tearing into each other. I did not consider it racially at the time. I could see maybe how you might think that. I doubt the show intended that. That could just be on my mind because of other stuff I've been reading about like word choices and how we describe Mm -hmm. people and I've been looking at a lot of articles about that right now. So, you know, perhaps it's not that but either way she's being very um, classist about the fact that he's a quote-unquote servant, you know, as she sees it, a staff member whereas she's a guest of the royal family. And he basically, like, pulls no punches and says, like, you expect to come back here and it'll be like, everything's fine. You're shitty to Liam all the time. You've broken up with him many a time before. Um, But the reason that I really wanted to talk about this conversation was I'm pretty sure that it ends on a kind of sexual note. He's like, you just get by on being a good lay. And when she leaves, she's like, I'm a great lay and she leaves and the camera lingers on Marcus and Marcus smiles pretty big for him. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, there could, I don't know if they ever explore that later on, but it could be something that they are planning way for the future. I don't know how far ahead this show plans. 
Always, I'm surprised by how much they lay out ahead of time. He also steals I mean, the gloves they were using to not touch poor people. Yeah. And puts nice them inside touch. his jacket. That's yeah. very that's a very courtly gesture. That's like a, a knights and ladies thing though. Like gloves and handkerchiefs, those were what um ladies would give to the knights who fought for them. So They've been calling Gemma a lady-in-waiting all episode. I was taking it as Liam removing the barrier that they had been using to not come in contact with the poor people. Or Marcus. Removing the barrier they had been using to not come in contact with the poor people. Like, forcing them to be more in touch with the the common man in spite of their intentions. I, take I it think as that's exactly it. I think no, I think you're right. I think regard. it's both though. I think it's both. I think he was taking it away from them so that they didn't have an excuse not to actually touch people. But I think that the way that the scene was played also had a flirtatious edge to it. Undertone. I just thought that was interesting. I mean, this being the Royals, I pretty much wouldn't put anyone sleeping with anyone past the show because everyone's, right. you know, throwing it out there. Perhaps no one more so than Gemma. <laughs> Both Eleanor and Liam have one more stop on their PR tours. The next day, the second day of her PR tour, she, again, completely unaware of her schedule beforehand, which always strikes me as slightly odd, uh, that she just gets... I mean, I guess it makes sense for the character, but you'd think she'd have some idea of where she's going. But uh, she decides today she's going to try and play play it sober while she does all of her uh, charity stops. And the first stop stop is a children's hospital, which makes her immediately reach for a bottle of booze. And actually, that goes pretty well, it seems like. Um, She talks about slightly odd subject matter for a group full of sick children, about how her mother is a cow. Yeah, specifically about hating your mom. Yeah. And who else in the room hates their mother, which seems like an odd choice of conversation, but it seems to go okay. If the first three episodes made it seem like Eleanor was the party girl princess. This one really hammered it home to me that she has a substance abuse problem, like an actual addiction, because she says that she wants to be sober for the day, and then she just immediately caves on that, totally forgets all about that, and like willfully is like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. So the next stop, she's trying to do a bump of cocaine off of Jasper's keys, when he tells her that they're going to Robert's charity, um, which is a, a rehab facility. Yeah. It seems like a rehab facility for young women. Yes, which makes me wonder slightly about the relationship between Robert and Eleanor when he was alive. Because surely if this was a passion of his, he must have talked to her about it at some regularity, right? I think that there's a chance that he might have created it for her, or at least to inspire her, because uh, in the first episode and later on, they talk a lot about him kind of being the one to first try to spur her out of this stage that she's in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe she's been having these problems for a long time, and he created this facility in the hope that maybe she would get involved, and eventually she would seek treatment herself. Although I imagine as a princess, you would be at a place slightly more ritzy than this one, which seems very nice, but just isn't fancy. Mm -hmm. And I know that rich people go to fancy rehab. She gets embroiled in a conversation with a, I would guess you could say fellow drug addict, continuing the theme of neglectful mothers, which seems to be the recurring segment, the recurring 
point of conversation for all of the Eleanor scenes in this episode. I guess kind of building off of the last episode in which obviously her mother was absolutely terrible to her. So yeah, she talks to this girl about um, her heroin addiction and all the things she's been through. And the girl reveals to her that her own mother was a heroin addict who like left her out in the freezing cold in a car as a baby. And Eleanor advises her to that to let go of the resentment towards her mother because it might be a step in the healing process. I don't know if she realizes that she could do the same thing. I don't know if she realizes how relevant the whole situation is to her life because this woman asked her why she does it and Eleanor says, oh, I just like getting high. But that feels like a lie. Well, yeah, considering on both nights when she comes home from the tour, she seems in varying levels of a depressive funk the first night she claims it is because she is coming down from the ecstasy which i guess makes some degree of sense um there is also a recurring point of conversation with jasper on the two nights about whether he will take advantage of her and both nights he asks if that's what she wants and the first night she says like no and tells him to leave and just curls up in her bed And so the second time after they leave the rehab facility, um, in the final scene of the show, she, you know, she just, this, I don't also say this episode seems to be hugely telegraphing that she is self-medicating with the drugs and the sex because she goes back to her place after the rehab, snorts a bunch of cocaine, asks him to take advantage of her and they start having like this sort of like dominant submissive very much so yeah sex type thing but earlier when he asked her like is this what you want she says of course not who would want this and that like rings really true throughout the episode i think there are supposed to be moments of genuine intimacy between eleanor and jasper in this episode but it still seems like i think so too yeah i think but eleanor just still seems like she's in like such a bad place and is you know using the sex as another as another drug the foundation of their relationship is still so off-putting and horrific that it's hard to ever get quite past it i think nothing could sum it up better than eleanor asking him to take advantage of her because the phrase take advantage i mean that itself implies a lack of consent or like muddy consent Mm -hmm. and but she's asking him to do it and like that one phrase really goes to show like a lot of the times it's extremely unpleasant and they're really mean to each other but it's still besides that first encounter which we've talked about Technically consensual, just very unpleasant. Unpleasant, but consensual. Eleanor has very few people she can... I think she doesn't have a lot of people she feels like she can have any significant relationship with. And as terrible as this person is, he might be one of them. Yeah. Um, Plus, I think it's pretty, you know, classic for people who are feeling, you know insecure about having intimacy insecure about relationships and having abandonment issues using sex to be a stand-in for actual intimacy so 
I guess sure. the main reason I want to talk to that is like I feel like so many times the show is trying to play Eleanor's accent um, antics as being like fun, like what you would do if you were a cool rock star princess because you're a cool young girl. Um, but this episode was just like on the Eleanor front, so such an incredible downer. It struck me as just very, very bleak. Yes, there are moments of hope. She bonds with the old people. She manages to actually have some kind words with the girl at the rehab facility, but she's still in so much denial about her own problems. And I think that kind of is where the episode leaves it with Eleanor. Yes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, you could even say that her requesting Jasper to take advantage of her is the nadir of her entire arc in this episode. So, yeah, it leaves her in a very dark spot. Let's go back to her uh, good old blonde twin brother, because once they get him to his next stop, he starts talking about football. That's soccer for all us ugly Americans. And starts having uh-huh. some, you know, playful banter with some of the neighborhood guys. And Liam asks if they have a pub, and it's like, aha, uh-huh, we're in England. Approximately 75% of the businesses here are pubs. Um, and there's a lot of talk of the lads, uh, Liam and the lads. I kind of liked his little move there where he sees a guy in a Liverpool shirt, and he starts saying, it must be terrible to be you and have to root for them. And they start to like kind of get into a, a tiff. And then he's like, well, if we're going to debate football, we should do it at a pub. And it's kind of a smooth little move to to get in with, with these people who he clearly doesn't know, but just in a, a casual setting. It's like a heterosexual male pickup. Yeah. <laughs> just I think, two I think dudes it was, picking each other up. It was kind of smooth. I thought it was kind of a smooth little, no, little it, uh, tactic. It's totally his wheelhouse. It's like the dart scene when we saw him the first time. He's great at like being a charming member of the common people, probably more so than anyone else in his family, including Eleanor, who still can get a I'm the princess attitude. Yeah. Um, but this is what made me laugh because Liam gets advice from two sources. The first source mm-hmm. is his father. The second source is incredibly hot women. There is no third uh-huh. source. There's this <laughs> true, girl tending that. the bar who is gorgeous. And Liam goes up to her and right off the bat, she's like doing what Ophelia did in pretty much every other episode, which is be like, you could be great someday if you learn to help people and follow your heart. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but barely. Liam finds this kid I mean, this is this whole other thing, but <laughs> basically weird. decides to help him because this hot girl will be impressed and like nothing comes of it. I don't think we ever see her again. And I doubt she even had a name on the casting sheet that day, Probably not. but it's just so funny to me that like his number one source of life advice is beautiful girls. The whole deal with this kid that he finds is he wanders into some basement and it's this kid. What do you whose mean? Father... It's not a basement. It's like a, a blacksmith okay, shed. A shop. It's some shop. And, <laughs> and it's this kid whose father is a saddle maker. Yes. He's like, Oh, I'm not as good at making saddles as my dad. I prefer to do this. And he shows him these boots. And like a lot of them are riding boots. And it's like, and he's like, <laughs> could great. this be a metaphor for something? A son following in his father's footsteps of a trade that's been in the family for generations, but he's not that good at it. I don't know if the audience will understand this metaphor that we're beating them over the head with. So Liam literally says, huh, I know what that's like. Yeah, exactly. Just in case we weren't getting it. I also like that this kid is like, oh, I'll never not be a saddle maker. In spite of one 
being really skilled at this boot making and two trying to enter into an almost identical craft that really goes along super well with saddle making because yeah. he's making riding boots like wouldn't that bolster the business <laughs> at his father's store it's a real why not both situation i mean it feels like the need for saddles would be somewhat diminishing at least because we don't use horses as our primary form of transportation anymore why not yeah. diversify anyway especially in this <laughs> apparently very poor town i don't know how many horseback riders there would be we haven't even gotten to helena's crazy okay, yeah. storyline so this is insane but we but can yeah. see liam through to the end right now pretty much um, yeah. except for his last little bit with ophelia which we will get to uh he gets a pair of the shoes don't know if he paid for them or he was like can i have these Unclear. <laughs> i'm yeah. a prince i did think it was funny when he walked into the blacksmith shop i don't know if you noticed this I don't know if it was the actor's choice, but he started touching everything. Literally everything he saw. He was like <laughs> me in that store. He was like touching saddles, picking them up, touching every single shoe on the shelf, just touching everything. Um, mm -hmm. So Liam puts on the shoes and wears them in front of the crowd. And like as he does, he gives that girl, that bartender girl, a look in the crowd like, see, I uh, took your advice. Will you blow me now? <laughs> he names the kid by, by name. Gives him a little buzz marketing. Yeah. But, no, it's it's still a good move. I just think it's funny yeah. that it seems like the only thing that lights a fire under Liam is a beautiful woman telling him to pull himself together. And the approval of his father. Well, and the approval of his father. He's a cliche, I guess. Pretty much. I was taught that those were pretty much the two constants in a man's life. We also have on this tour Helena. As she's shaking hands with people, she meets a little girl who tells her that her mother had to stay home because the family cow is sick. You know what they say about sociopaths? Sociopaths feel empathy for children and animals. So Helena decides to go along. I think they make it pretty clear she only goes because there's... Like, she takes... A, she glances over at the press before saying, let's go visit your mom. I think she makes it pretty clear. Yeah. She's just doing this for the... For the cameras. But when she actually gets there, she seems to have at least a flicker a of moment. true compassion. Yeah. Uh, she grew up on a farm, which is something that will definitely, definitely has influenced her character, and we'll learn more about that. Um, and this woman tells her there's a whiskey distillery nearby, and they're using a new labeling process, which is not, you know earth friendly and the runoff from their plant is poisoning our fields and in turn poisoning all our animals and like we've been farming this land for like 200 years so helena is like okay i'll go over to the distillery and i'll smooth things over but things don't exactly go according to plan uh she meets the distiller there the fellow who makes the whiskey and she tries to convince him to use a different labeling process that would decrease the runoff and he gives her a bottle of his whiskey and then choose her out because the old labeling process was driving him to bankruptcy because it was extremely cost ineffective, I guess. And it's that the old labeling strategy was not as cost effective as the new one and taxes have been raised. So he feels that he can no longer afford to do it the way that his father did it. And he chews her out for buying, ex probably justifiably, for buying $50,000 lingerie with tax money yeah i would say that's a fair complaint this episode and the last episode almost work like a companion pair of episodes because almost everything from the last episode is brought up in this episode mm -hmm. except yeah. that we don't see any king simon which is a huge problem for me so helena since she didn't get along with this guy and all he offers her for her trouble is a bottle of whiskey <laughs> we see when she gets home that she had the place burned down burned to the ground 
and arson, full fledged arson, destroyed this man's life. No question about it. Like I guess theoretically, she helped the woman with the cow, which Cyrus points out, not noting that this guy's life is ruined. I feel torn about this because, on the one hand, obviously it's a crazy thing to do. And the yeah. fact that, like, it would be so easy to trace back to her, too, because, like, everyone sure. in the town knew exactly where she was going and what she was doing. But at the same time, you know me, I tend to be something of a bleeding heart. Uh, and I was not pro the distillery guy using his not-earth-friendly practices and, like, salting the earth of an entire region for raising plants and animals. So I don't like her means or her ends, but I think I'm still technically on her side on this one. <laughs> You'd think she could use her exposure or political influence to maybe make that process illegal or to say, hey, this whiskey distiller is ruining this community. Yeah. But no. Anything. Let's go with arson. Even talk to a local politician who could actually, you know, legislate. But whatever. That's not really Helena's style. And I think it was kind of interesting. Like Cyrus, who didn't have a lot to do in this episode, was, like, loving everything Helena did. Like, every time she was mean to someone, the camera would cut to him, like, smiling lovingly at her. (laughs) Those two really are soulmates in that they're exactly the same in terms of their nature. They're made for each other. Oh, that I hate when TV shows and movies do this. Now I've seen your world. Now I get to show you my world. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just a really boring cliche. And like, so Nick takes her to his world, which I think is Battersea Park, which is a pretty like up and coming gentrified area of London. I could be wrong, but it looked like Battersea and it's kind of known for it's like warehouse parties. So Nick's world based on the party that his friends are throwing this like rooftop, this palatial rooftop place. Nick's world also seems incredibly wealthy, like Ophelia. Oh, very much so. It's also almost exclusively white like Ophelia's. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you trying to show her that you're more of a fucking hipster? Like yeah. that's pretty much it. It looks like a nice place to have a big dinner. I'll give him that. If oh, Nick yeah, weren't there, it'd probably be a lot of fun. It doesn't strike me as wildly different from Ophelia's. No, world. not really. Especially because really. she has like other friends and school and stuff outside the palace, so it's not like she's partying with the royals all the time. Yeah, it's like very upper middle class instead of just upper class, maybe. So they're talking about what they would see as their top creative accomplishments. Ophelia wants to dance at this one very well-known venue in New York. Nick wants to create music, and the example he pulls is M83, who's an artist who I actually like, but he says, <laughs> M83 he keeps working until it's perfect. I'm like, yeah, because other artists are like, well, this isn't perfect, but just throw it out there. Yeah. Like, he says it like M83 is the only one who does this. He works on it until it's perfect. And I think they specifically chose, like, M83 so Nick could continue to prove his his cool dude bona fides. Just a... I think you're right. Yeah. Just, like, it was just it was just a hip band for him to name... That's the whole purpose of exactly. that, that interaction, probably. Yeah. So they're in the middle of this conversation when one of Nick's friends said, nerve just popped. And everyone just runs. The line is nerve just popped. Nerve, I guess, is the name of the club. But this is still the most obnoxiously contrived, like, cool guy line I've ever heard in my entire life. I think I'm, I might have missed that. Holy shit. I can't believe that. Nerve just show. popped. Wow. And I was like, that That's sounds just- disgusting. Yeah, I think if I heard that at a party and everybody ran off, I would just go home. <laughs> <I'd be laughs> like, done. It's 
the plague. Um, so they go to this silent disco, which oh. is a thing that's popular in England. It's, I mean, at least I went to one when I was there, and I saw others. I've never been to one, but it sal- it seems kind of horrible to me, like a silent Have disco. So. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Well, first of all, during the part where you're actually at the disco, obviously all communication is cut off. And then when you're not... It's just this weird room of people dancing silently. I don't know. It seems very bizarre to me. Maybe you have to be there. It's counterintuitive, but here's the thing. Like, normally when you're at a club dancing, the music is super loud, so you can, like, scream at your friends, but you can't really Mm -hmm. hear them. Whereas at the silent disco, like, yeah, like you said, when your headphones are on, you can't hear your friends, but if the music were playing even not through your headphones, I don't think you'd be able to hear them very well anyway. And when you do want to talk, you just take off your headphones and talk normally instead of screaming in each other's faces. So... I think it's actually kind of convenient in that sense. But ultimately, it's just like you're dancing to music because the track is synced throughout the whole place. So it's kind of like a gimmick. But, you know, it looks very hip for the scene. Uh, Nick leans in to kiss Ophelia, and one of his friends takes a video of it, which she posts on social media. But Ophelia stops him right when he's about to kiss her, and he's like, I get it. You're not into me. This is the part where I walk away. And should have known it from the washing my hair line, but okay. That should have been Nick's last appearance, but I'm sorry to tell you, dear listeners, we will be checking back in with him next week. I think that I think only once more, though. Ophelia has led him on to the extreme, and now girlfriend has to reap what she sows. Gemma shows him shows Liam the video on social media of Nick leaning in to kiss Ophelia, which doesn't show the part where she's like. Maybe let's not. Um, Mm. So Liam assumes that they're together. Gemma pets Liam's hair for like two solid minutes. Like she just keeps petting his hair and petting it while she talks about how they're destined to be together. She sounds like Amy from Gone Girl. And (laughs) one of her lines is, quote, we're bigger than love. And I was like. Yeah. "Mm." Bigger than love, bigger than breakups, bigger than everything yeah it was a weird weird. thing to say it was also kind of her acknowledging that he's in love with or falling in love with ophelia but she still thinks their relationship can supersede that i guess it was just funny to me because she would not stop petting his head and her relationship to him is kind of implied not to necessarily be founded on genuine love they talk about how she runs off frequently to chase they mention ryan reynolds by name that is so So funny I guess that was... Yeah. Oh, well, he was with Blake Lively at that point. It's a fictional universe. What am I talking about? I don't know. She does bring up the fact that he's the next king of England a lot in this episode. She's like, you know what the next king of England gets? He gets me. And when you're king, this, blah, blah, blah. I think yeah. a lot of episodes imply that she has genuine feelings for him. But this one was definitely a big tally on the gold digger side if we're yeah. keeping score. Like I said, this you know before I was digging Gemma so much and I just wasn't feeling her this episode at all with all the elitist stuff and her like just acting so obnoxious. There's no other way to put it. She just, like, was really bothering me. This episode, I feel like, made a lot of characters temporarily less likable. The episode concludes with Liam coming to visit Ophelia in her magical fantasy clock tower house. And he brings her two tickets for the upcoming masquerade, one for her and one for her boyfriend, which he assumes she still has. Uh, she considers telling him that she is not with boring-ass Nick, but relents and stays quiet as he leaves. 
learn from this, ladies, because let me tell you, it's what's going to happen every time. There's no good trying to make someone jealous. You're just going to fuck everything up. It's a painfully awkward scene, but it's kind of what she deserved. The last thing we see in the episode is her, you know, lingering expression of disappointment. Total missed opportunity to close the episode with an F. FML. M-L. Not a one in this episode. Kind of a disappointment. Uh, Cyrus and Helena have a conversation about the referendum and how important it is that people like Liam for the sake of that. But this is what confused me. Cyrus says that uh, more than 40% of the people right now are polling. It looks like they would vote to abolish the monarchy. And he says that jumps another 10 points if they know that Simon was the one who suggested it. Yeah, I don't follow that either. At the end of episode one, Simon went on TV and talked to the people and said that he was putting, he himself was putting the referendum before them. He was on TV, wasn't he? It doesn't even matter because that scene has the best button on it. Cyrus opens up the wall and climbs into it and he's in a (laughs) tunnel and it's just like, now we know that he's sneaking out of the palace without people noticing him. Dun, dun, dun. That should have been the end of the episode, not Ophelia. Always go with always go out on a secret passage. <laughs> Chekhov's secret passage. Well, it's a little bit less cut and dry this time since there was no Cyrus no to standout. sweep us off yeah. uh, our feet in his our feet our feet in his cravats and his jackets. Um, but what was your favorite moment of the episode? I did kind of like Liam's little move to to get into that pub with those guys. I thought that was kind of smooth. For once, Liam was, <laughs> just because Eleanor was kind of terrible this episode and Liam yeah. wasn't, maybe I'll give him a break this time. Even though I do think that it was like they were trying to make us like Eleanor less this episode and I thought her plot was pretty depressing, my favorite moment was <laughs> the giant scissors. I loved mm-hmm. the giant scissors moment. I just thought that joke was really funny. With this, uh, an honorable mention for Prince Rufus, the character that should have been. This show needs a dog. If you're listening, E, that's what I think that the show needs. A cute dog who wears outfits that correspond with other characters' outfits. There's always an event going on you could dress up the dog for every single every single week. There's something new. Downton Abbey has a golden retriever named Isis um, after the Egyptian goddess. And the funny thing is, I don't know if, have you ever seen Downton Abbey? A few episodes, not much. The first thing you see in the credits is the dog's butthole. (laughs) (laughs) The show opens with a shot of the dog walking from behind really close up. It's very confusing. Well, anyway, next week is so exciting. It's one I've really been looking forward to, and I hope that you guys are excited for it, too. It's the Masked Ball episode, The Masquerade. And um, hopefully we should have a guest back with us. Uh, Zach and I decided to do these last couple of episodes, just the two of us, because in part we had some technical issues that uh, made us have to drop a guest. And also these episodes were pretty plot heavy, and we've been wanting to have our guests on episodes where really wacky stuff happens. Luckily, I think the ball is the perfect episode for that. And then it's straight on to Monaco. Can't wait. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks. Bye. All right. I've been Shannon Camp. I've been Zach Powers. Bye. Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. 
The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted. Artwork by Joshua Hollis. 